Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Letters to Myself podcast. I hope you've all been having a really decent and great November. Um, This is literally the third time that I'm trying to record an episode. The first time was over a week ago, and before that, it was the week before. So I think third time's the charm, and we're just going to get right into it. Uh, Not going to lie, I've drank a little bit of wine today, so... I might be more, you know, extroverted and excitable than usual. So we'll see where, what kind of topics come up, what discussions are going to happen. We'll just see where it goes. Okay. So honestly, the last time I published an episode was mid-October. So it's been about a month. So I do apologize for that. But a lot has kind of been happening. I do know that I had previously mentioned in September about all the endings I've been going through a lot of change in my life. And so, yeah, that kind of caught up to me. Uh, Not in a good way, you know, kind of really been going through it, which we will discuss later on. But yeah, definitely some challenges there, especially in terms of anxiety. But anyways, we'll get into um, today's episode. We'll start with, I guess, book updates because there have been honestly a lot. And I'm not even going to go through all of them, just the most notable ones. We're going to discuss a couple of books. So I'll start with the most chill, fun one to read, which was the second Anne of Green Gables book, Anne of Avonlea. Anne of Green Gables is genuinely the most cottagecore, enjoyable, chill read ever. I absolutely love reading books that are tailored towards um, young adults, but this one was written, you know, in the early 1900s. So it just like really takes you back. It's super relaxing. And I think the author is amazing. So that was just a very nice, relaxing read. Um, On the flip side, I think the most odd book that I've ever read in my entire life was one that I was excited originally to read. And it was called Earthlings by Sayaka Murata. And so I've been reading a lot of Japanese literature this year. So I was excited to read this book because I've read her other novel, um, Convenience Store Woman, which although peculiar and very odd and off-putting, this book should have come with a freaking trigger warning list because it was extremely disturbing, gory, unsettling, made me want to vomit. So... If you're not really into, you know, gore or really disgusting human things, don't read this one. It's very deceiving because if you look at the cover of the book, it's a stuffed hedgehog. So it looks cute. I thought, oh, earthlings. I thought it's going to be maybe about a girl who like thinks about aliens. I don't know. I thought it was going to be something odd, but like cute. No, there are so many trigger warnings I, I like I can't even list them all. It's genuinely the most disturbing book I've ever read, and I have read a lot of disturbing books. Um, a lot of people say A Little Life is a disturbing book. Compared to this book, A Little Life is like at a five year old appropriate appropriate level compared to this book. So if you are the kind that likes very unsettling, disgusting books that are two hundred pages long and not a very long read that's the book for you. I think you should read it. So yeah. Um, anyways, moving on. Okay. So a book series that I read and I read the whole series that I absolutely hated was the maybe, okay, what was it? Maybe someday, maybe not, maybe now by Colleen Hoover. And 
yeah, you're, you might be thinking, you know, I've, I've kind of not dissed her before, but I've read a couple of her books. I'm not necessarily the biggest fan, but the reason is, you know, they were on sale on Kindle for next to nothing. So I bought them because they're quick books to get through. And because there's so many people around me that have read her books, it's like a point of conversation for me. So it's, it's nice to discuss books, kind of like a book club. Um, so I decided to give it a chance because why not? And I think it might be my least favorite series by her that I've ever read because not only does it condone cheating, but it it makes you want to sympathize with two characters who absolutely don't like don't deserve anything. Like justice for the third book because it delves into Maggie, which is the character they wronged. The only reason I enjoyed that book was because of her character. I wish the book was about her in the first place. She is like the only character in that whole series that I liked. But I think, I think at the end of the day, and I've definitely talked about this before, is that compared to other romance novels that I read, like let's say a Christina Lauren, an Emily Henry, the characters in her books just don't have personalities besides being in love and being obsessed with the other character. There's no, they have no aspirations. They have no goals. There's no substance. It's all plot. It's no character development. And I think that's what's lacking in a lot of her novels. Now, there is a book that I have enjoyed by her and I've discussed it before and it's Verity. I thought Verity was very well done. I also enjoyed reading Regretting You. So it's not like there isn't potential there, but I a lot of her older books are just so plot driven to the point where it's like, like I could substitute any of the characters in any of her books and plop them in the plot of another book and you wouldn't be able to tell because they have no, again, no personalities. Like they're so bland. I don't know. Maybe it's because all of the characters are kind of the same. Like I feel like she doesn't really change it up with the personalities of her characters. The men are always written the same and the the women are always like coded the same way. But Okay, almost done here. The last book that I wanted to mention, I can't I honestly can't go through all of them, was Atlas of the Heart by Brene Brown. Brene Brown is one of my all-time favorite people. Um, I've read pretty much all of her books, except for Dare to Lead. I've listened to all of her podcasts. And this book was about, it gives a description of all of the emotions that we feel as human beings, because if we are better able to describe what we are feeling, it actually helps our mental health, our physical health, And it allows us to communicate and connect with others in a better way. And this has been proven that if you only use sad, happy, angry, instead of overwhelmed, frustrated, resentful, joyful, like awe, wonder, you lose out on a lot of context, a lot of understanding, and the ability to build deeper bonds with others when you communicate that. And there is evidence that shows this, and I think I talked about it maybe last month. So a lot of the reviews that I was reading was talking about how simple the book was because basically it's just a breakdown of what each emotion means. But I think that we forget that the language we use is so limited sometimes and it's a great reminder to refer back to uh, when you're trying to identify an emotion that you're feeling. And honestly, I actually learned a lot. Like I took notes. There were some emotions that I was not properly describing, uh, such as the difference between, I think it was overwhelmed versus stress versus anxiety, because I use those interchangeably. And I'm sure a lot of other people do as well. 
but there's a big difference between them. And like, if we're able to describe it better, then after time we know ourselves better and we're better able to process and then learn from that emotion, you know? So I absolutely loved it. It's a beautiful, amazing book. It looks nice. It's perfect for a coffee table as well. Um, it's just a beautiful, stunning book. There's nice art in it. She honestly never misses. Like, I, like, I don't know. Like, I just, I love her so much. I'm so upset that she stopped podcasting because I looked forward to those episodes every, I think it was Monday and Wednesday. I listened to her Dare to Lead podcast, even though, like, I, I'm not a manager. Like, I didn't really work in that kind of work environment, but I just, like, loved listening to her. So, I just hope she comes back. I hope she makes a return. Or I hope she comes out with another book because I, like, if there's one person I'd like to just sit down and talk to, it would be her, honestly. Dream podcast guest, dream dinner guest, to be honest. So anyways, <laughs> let's move on from that. So that's kind of it for books. Like, I'm reading a couple right now. I did read another one in the airport. Yeah, I forgot to mention. I did actually go on a trip as well. So I came back a few days ago. I did go to Florida. And I had the best time, honestly. I can't, I can't complain. I had a really good time. Uh, saw Miami as well. It was my first time going to Miami. I don't know if I want to make observations about, not the culture shock, but it, I think like I've been to Florida before. I went when I was a child. Um, and I don't think I had quite noticed how different Toronto is from Florida. Um, just in terms of a lot of things, especially food, <laughs> but going to Florida, I think from the last time I went, I didn't realize the difference in the food. Like, I honestly don't think I really enjoyed any of my meals there. The food really is different. And even at nicer restaurants, I just didn't find that the food was seasoned properly. I don't know. I feel really bad saying this. Like, if you live in Florida, I'm sorry. Maybe I just didn't go to the right restaurants, honestly. But even the breakfast places, like we'd go to cute cafes and it's like, the bagel was dry. Like there was no sauce. There were no spices, just a dry bagel with like tomato and cheese and lettuce on it. Like nothing. And these were like, these weren't cheap places. It wasn't Dunkin' Donuts. I'm talking like expensive. Like I paid like, like almost $40 Canadian for like a breakfast bagel and a freaking latte. The coffee, their coffee is good. They make better coffee than I've tried here. But their food to me was like either extremely salty, like they compensate for the lack of seasoning with like extreme salt or like the portions were just off. I don't know. Like I, I didn't enjoy it. Honestly, that that's just, that's just my personal opinion. Again, I was only there for a couple days. I didn't try any like foodie spots, I guess. Like, we, like we just tried more popular cafes and like restaurants, anything else. I don't have anything negative to say. I think the people are relatively nice. Nobody says sorry there. We say sorry a lot here. I didn't get really get a chance to like interact a lot with people, unfortunately, but weather 10 out of 10, um, shopping is great. Coffee is amazing. Things to do 10 out of 10 expensive. Yes, very much. If you're coming from Canada, cause our exchange rates, not the best. I definitely want to go again. Like I want to go back to Miami and actually experience more of the clubbing life, more shopping, I didn't get the chance to. I was there for like just under 48 hours. It's very hard to explore a new city, like a big area like that when you have like barely two days and you're running on like a couple of hours of sleep. But I was very impressed with everything else. Architecture is beautiful. Weather is beautiful. Everything else, 10 out of 10. 
for me, just the food was very disappointing. That's all I'm going to say. Um, honestly, I'm not going to talk too much more about the trip because like, there's like, you know, I don't know. I feel like when I listen to podcasters and they tell me about their trips, I'm not really interested. Like I'd rather hear other things. So anyways, we'll stop. So let's get into today's main topic. And I am extremely, extremely excited to talk about this. It kind of came to me on a whim when I was working out. And I just had, you know, when you have like a blank slate and suddenly something just pops up in your head. That's kind of how this was for me because I've been struggling to kind of come up with things that I'm passionate talking about. And this one for me could be a multiple episode type of thing because it has to do with human nature and how how we as humans think. But today we're going to talk about self-discipline and how extreme self-discipline is a dual-edged sword, how it can lead to self-destruction. So we'll talk about what self-discipline is. We'll discuss the bad or the negative aspects when you go too far and then how to healthily cultivate self-discipline not in a conventional orthodox way because I find that whatever information is kind of available is very cliche, but things that I've done to healthily exemplify self-discipline instead of letting it lead me to complete self-destruction. All right. So just to preface, I wanted to give a little bit of a background on my kind of experience with self-discipline and again, how it literally almost led to my destruction. And I don't even mean that in, I don't mean that lightly. I mean, I almost died, like literally. Um, so the way it all kind of started for me was through body image and eating habits. And that's how this kind of obsession kind of started. I want to make an episode that goes more in depth on how control body image and eating all kind of play a part and the dynamic of that. Um, but it's not going to be for today. But essentially, I was a really, really chubby kid. Um, nothing wrong with that. Totally fine. But when you are in a certain cultural family or there are certain, certain cultural norms, you're going to be made fun of it or your family is going to tell you to lose weight. And in my family, we're very blunt. In my culture, we're blunt. We're not going to lie. We're not going to sugarcoat. It was the grandparents telling me I'm overweight even though they were the ones overfeeding me, it was coming from peers at my school. Um, of course I had friends, like it's not like I was an outsider, but there were a lot of comments and this was before, this was an elementary school. So what I started to do was I was starting to discipline myself in terms of food, um, in order to lose weight. And I'm not going to bring this into the realm of eating disorders because that's not what we're here to talk about today. Again, I will cover that in a different, different, different episode. It, I have a lot to say on that. Um, but I started to self-discipline in that way and I would get rewarded for it. So, you know, my parents would make a comment or my grandparent would say, oh, you look like you lost weight or good for you. You didn't eat an ice cream or, and mind you, I was maybe nine maybe eight, nine, 10. So I wasn't even an adolescent. I wasn't even prepubescent at this point. I was literally a child and I was getting these comments made to me. And that reward of getting that validation pushed me even further. And I think the, the point where it 
started to solidify for me was in grade five, I remember that was kind of my chubbiest era because I hadn't had my growth spurt yet. And I was working out on the elliptical, like doing adult workouts for 45 minutes. Um, I remember I would get asked, oh, do you want to go to Dairy Queen? I would say, no, I don't need ice cream. And just a lot of, again, well, it was dieting. Um, I was still eating, mind you. I wasn't, you know, restricting from meals, but it made me feel more worthy as a human being. And that's kind of where I think if you have extreme self-discipline, it can get almost dangerous if you're taking it too far. But of course, at that age, when you're not even in double digits, when you're literally under 10 years old, you don't know. You can't reason. Your your prefrontal cortex is nowhere near developed. And again, when the people around you are giving you validation about your discipline and rewarding you for having such great discipline, you're such a little good, obedient child, you're doing so well, um, it's very, very dangerous to have that happen to you before you become an adolescent because when you then enter your teen years, it sets you up for a really, really tough time and we'll get there. So that was kind of where it started for me. I started working out um, with a very intense regimen. I started really self-disciplining, um, holding back on desserts. And I was very big on... I don't know if it's like stoicism on being logical, on enduring suffering, which again, a child can't really understand those concepts, but just for reference, my favorite show growing up was Naruto. And a lot of the characters on that show suffer and maintain their cool. And it's about enduring and it's about honor and it's about pushing yourself to your absolute limits. That's kind of what a lot of uh, shonen anime shows. I know not very typical for girls to watch, but it was my favorite show. It still is. Um, so a lot of the media, I guess I was com- consuming too, which was mostly shonen anime at the time, was kind of reinforcing this idea of suffering leads to good outcomes. You have to endure. You have to have the discipline to get to where you want. Um, and I was looking up to these characters and Again, I'd like to talk more about them in depth, but it we're just not gonna I'm not gonna have the time to do it in this episode. So then we get to, I guess, adolescence or being a teen. And of course, everything just gets a hundred times worse because then you have your academics as well. I had extreme self-discipline within academics. Um I wanted to be perfect in every single aspect, and my life was so regimented when I was 13 and 14. You know, this I'm not I wasn't even anywhere close to an adult. And my life was so so routine and so ordered. It was insane. Um, I'd wake up at 5 a.m. I would just read all, I mean, I love reading, but my grades had to be great. If my grades were wrong, I would self-punish. But it, it would just become, you have to do the right things. And if you don't do them, you are a bad person and you have to punish yourself. And that was just kind of reinforced over and over for me. Um, Some of the characters I looked up to when I was a teenager was Spencer Hastings from Pretty Little Liars, Blair Waldorf from Gossip Girl. Um, Those are kind of the two characters that I I really related to, especially Spencer Hastings, because she kind of led herself to self-destruction as well from her 
discipline from her extreme discipline, as you can see in that season where she falls apart and she takes Adderall and kind of goes down that spiral. All of these characters that I mentioned have that same extreme self-discipline, but it does lead them to a point of destruction. And yeah, so I, I think I'm going to stop there because it's just to say that I was so drawn to discipline because I thought that it made me a worthy person. And I was so hell bent on being this idea of perfection in, in every aspect, not just, not just academics, because as a young woman, you also have the pressure of being beautiful. And I, I, to this day, I still have extreme, uh, discipline. Um, but I would just be so brutal towards my body, like absolutely evil towards my body evil in terms of not letting myself stop studying. I had to be perfect in everything. In social life, I had so much self-discipline because I would, you know, monitor my social interactions and try to be the best possible person. I had notes. I had a journal full of things I was allowed and not allowed to do. Um, places I could and couldn't shop. Self-discipline is a double-edged sword because on the other side of that is absolute chaos. And if you go too far to an extreme, you're getting closer to chaos instead of to order and stability. And that's what I think people don't realize. Now, it's probably rare for people to get to this point. And again, that's why it's coming from my experience. Most people that you see nowadays are trying to have more discipline. They're trying to be more focused, to um, to get away from their guilty pleasures. It's it's all over. You can't escape that kind of content. So it's it's not as common to find someone that is very hell-bent on discipline, I feel that a lot of people do struggle with that. But there's another side to it, and it's the people that struggle so much with order and with control and with disciplining themselves to the point where they actually break as a person. And that's that's kind of the aspect that's not talked about enough. I feel like no one really talks about that. You see a lot of content about being in your villain era, um, being, you know, un un what's the word? Unwavering, unperturbable, being a mask. Nobody can push you over. Nobody can get in your way. You're unstoppable. We talk, we romanticize that a lot, but what people don't realize is that if you get to that point, you're actually closer to failure. You're actually closer to destruction than you are if you just have a healthy balance of rest and discipline. You know, you have to have a balance. And yeah, so self-discipline can become dangerous. You can see this in movies like The Black Swan, which is one of my favorite movies. And ironically, it was my favorite movie when I was 13 and 14 years old. Um, I absolutely love that movie because I related so much to the character and she dies in the end because she cared so much about perfection that in the end it killed her. So The Black Swan is also just a really great example. If you haven't seen it, go see it. I think it's one of the best movies ever, 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 ever. I love it. Natalie Portman's performance was absolutely amazing. So was Mila Kunis's. Yeah. So that is a very long but condensed synopsis of my kind of experience with self-discipline. I'm not going to lie and say I didn't enjoy myself when I was younger because I did. I had great times. I had a lot of friends. I had people close to me. 
Um, you know, some people will will say I didn't have any good time amidst that time of struggle and suffering, but that's not true. I had really great times. I had a really great high school experience despite what I went through. I had a really great, like I love my family, I, you know, so it, it, that's not what it is. It's just, I think that there's something within me. I don't know if other people feel this way. There's something just dangerous within me that is like my chaotic, it's your shadow self. That's what it is. That wants to be so perfect that she will do anything to get it, even if it kills her. And that's the part of me that I always have to quell and kind of subdue. Um, obviously, I'm much older now and I'm better able, able to regulate my emotions than I was when I was 14, which was probably the worst year of my life. It, it, it's still, from time to time, it still comes out, that urge to be perfect in in every single aspect of the world, like to be the most beautiful person in the world, to be the most successful, to be the most social, to be the best version that you could ever be. It's hard to quell and, and silence, not silence, but negotiate with that part of yourself, especially when it's so relentless. And I'm here to say that I think more women need to talk about that side of themselves because I know it's down there. And we're just, a sh I think there's just a lot of shame about talking about it because it's not a very pretty, um, it's not a very pretty thing. You know, it's not a very pretty thing to want perfection at any cost. It's not a very pretty dainty thing to, to have a shadow side or a shadow self that is destructive right? Yeah. So yeah, this isn't a cultural commentary, but yeah, I just wanted to be vulnerable and share that that's something that I still struggle with. Um, so let's get into how to health healthily cultivate self-discipline without kind of going off the deep end and losing yourself. The first thing is to have balance. So if you're the type of person that has a rigorous to-do list, and if you don't complete that to-do list and do every single thing on that list, you hate yourself, just forget about it. You're never going to be able to get it all done. You're never, ever, ever going to be perfect. And once you accept that it will never end for you and you let go, things get better because we're constantly growing. You're going to be growing and improving until you die, right? So there's never going to be a point where you've achieved perfection. There's never going to be a point where you're completely satisfied um, if, if you have that kind of mindset, right? So have balance. If you were able to do a walk, but you didn't get your workout in, like this is on a very subtle scale, just accept it. If you were able to read 50 pages, but not 100, just accept it. You're not a failure. Things come up. Um and you're allowed to have rest days, it's easier said than done. Me, myself, like, uh, I have an issue with taking days off. I have an issue with taking any kind of personal days. I don't take days off from work. I will only schedule a vacation if I'm actually going to another country. So it's very hard for me. And if I'm in the house for like a full day and I don't have anything to do, I go insane. So I need to keep busy. But you have to just remind yourself that it's literally, it's okay. Like it's, it's fine. Consistency over complexity. So if you miss a day 
of a routine that you have. Let's say you have a writing routine or a vitamin routine or like like anything simple that you think about and you're frustrated. It's okay. As long as you're consistent, think about it. If you have been, if your goal was to write every day of the year, but you wrote 150 days of the year and that's 50 days more than you did the last year, you've already improved by double, right? Um, or like almost double, sorry. Don't hate yourself because you're still improving. I've, I've really found, especially with my steps for, for the year are up over 2000. They were last year. It's not the, it's not the improvement that I wanted. It's not perfect, but I'm proud of myself for that. Maybe I didn't go to the gym as much as I wanted to this year, but I went more than I did last year. So I'm proud of myself for that. Maybe this could be applied to any area of your life, you know, consistency over, oh, what was it? I don't think I'm using the right word. It's not complexity. It's like being consistent over being so intense with what you want to do and doing it all at once. That's how you burn out. Life to me is like balancing between order and chaos. So balance the teeter-totter. That's that's what I said. I always feel like that. Life is just, it's about perfecting, (laughs) perfecting the balance. So, you know, you have order within you and you also have chaos. The universe is chaos, but it's also order. And we are literally, quite literally, a part of the universe. The world around us is chaotic and yet it is ordered. I don't have enough knowledge as an astrophysicist. I'm not one to talk about entropy, but if you know about what entropy is, it's kind of like that whole concept. But chaos will always have order and order will always have chaos. And so when you learn how to balance those two aspects of yourself, you are at the, you're at the most optimal functioning because you can't just have a hundred percent order. Otherwise life would get very boring, very stagnant. You would not be enjoying yourself and you can't just be chaos because we see people who live in chaos. We see what their lives are like and it's not fun. And it, it does lead them also to die or to, you know, to not be fulfilled. So people on both ends of the spectrum are suffering. They are in so much pain. But when you balance the te- the the metaphorical teeter-totter and you are able to have order in certain aspects of life and embrace the chaotic and the unknown and the 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 path that we don't know where we're taking and we we don't know where life is taking us and the uncertainty that's when <laughs> we actually see growth in our lives. That's my opinion. That's my opinion. Um calling the chaos within you. So I mentioned that as well. So there is always, it's, I think it's in our human nature to have the shadow self. I think Carl Jung talked about it. (laughs) I'm so excited to read more of his work, but we have a shadow self that, and also there's a collective shadow as well that we all as humanity possess that has our, you know, the characteristics and the traits that we maybe are not so proud of our deepest parts of ourselves that we're trying to suppress. Um, when really it's not about suppressing it, it's about making friends with that self and accepting. And that's part of what shadow work is about. It's about bringing these darker parts of you to light and accepting them and embracing them and then balancing them within you so that the chaos does not brew until it explodes out of you and you literally go insane. Um, just, just to kind of <laughs> summarize that. And I think the biggest thing for me that has helped. And again, it's not a very conventional way of cultivating healthy self-discipline is romanticizing being soft and resting. So 
the reason why I really, really like TikToks that are about the soft feminine, the soft life is because it's nice to live that way sometimes. And you do need that. And ever since I, I mentioned this before, I've embraced a lot of my softer traits and I've completely kind of fallen into that. My life has improved and it has become less stressful. And again, it's, I don't want to talk about binaries, like masculine and feminine binaries. That's not what I'm here to do. Um, So take it in any way that you want. Anybody can be soft. Anybody can kind of romanticize the idea of relaxing, resting, being soft, being taken care of, which is something I'm learning now to enjoy and to kind of cultivate in my life. Romanticize it because when we romanticize, we kind of create this idea in our heads And I find that when I romanticize it, I'm trying to manifest it and I'm attracting more of that into my life versus, you know, before I didn't romanticize these things. I didn't think of these things as ideals. I thought that I needed to be hard and I needed to be, again, have extreme self-discipline and extreme motivation. And that if I didn't have these things, and if I even took one rest day, that I was a failure as a human being which is not true. Like imagine your best friend told you that, oh, I can't take a rest day. You'd think they're insane. You'd be like, if you don't get on that couch right now and watch a movie and relax, like honestly. Um, So yeah, I'm, I'm still learning how to balance that. I'm going to be honest. Sometimes things are going well for me and I'm able, I've been really able to enjoy, to enjoy fun, to enjoy play. Again, this episode is going to be too long, so I can't really talk about it, but the benefits of play and the benefits of acting out your inner child's desires are so healing as well. And, you know, we can't always live in this rigorous, self-disciplined, you know, extreme manner. We need time to enjoy the other aspect of life and have that balance. And yeah, I don't think there's much more to say on this topic because I do, there are other things that I want to talk about maybe in the next episode, which includes again, the, the, the connection between control and eating behaviors. I really want to talk about, um, as well as the idea that suffering is required in life and that suffering is somehow necessary to humanity and then also more on kind of our shadow self and what that means. So I know this is not kind of like my usual episode and I know I was really exposing myself there. Um, I don't, I don't know if anyone can relate. I honestly don't. Um, because the, the truth is I haven't really encountered many people that have struggled with this. You know, I've met a lot of perfectionists, but not to the point where it's it's gotten that bad. And yeah, I think it it just comes with age or with experience and with reading. Honestly, reading has really like acquiring knowledge about the human psyche and and psychology has been the biggest help to me because reading about human nature and understanding where these aspects are coming from. And then talking to people about them and explaining them has been, I think, the biggest help. And it's just, it's honestly just a journey. It's a journey about learning who you are, returning to yourself, 
And again, embodying kind of what the entire universe embodies, which again is just that constant balance and that constant flux and the flow of life. And again, when you, when you hold yourself with such rigidity, you are not embodying the proper state of being. We cannot just hold ourselves with, with like rigidly in one, in one state. And we cannot always be like that. Yeah. All right. So thank you so much for listening to this episode. I know it was a more serious one. Um, and I will be back hopefully really soon with another podcast episode. The holidays are coming up, so I'm not going to be working as much. So I have more time to record. And yeah, I love each and every one of you who are, who are listening to this. Thank you so, so much for the support. Please rate my podcast if you can on Spotify or Apple Music. Sorry, Apple Podcasts. And have a great rest of your November. All right. Bye.